This is the Frontier Freedom Hour, sponsored by Centennial Institute at Colorado Christian University. Here's Jeff Hunt. Having a great conversation with Dr. Owen Strand, provost and research professor of theology at Grace Bible Theological Seminary, about men. He's got a new book out, The War on Men, Why Society Hates Them and Why We Need Them. We diagnosed the problem in the first segment. We're talking about its implications in the second segment. Now, I want to get some hope. And if you missed any of that, go back to FrontierFreedomRadio.com. You can download the podcast there. All right, so who should we be? Andrew Tate? Should we be Leah Thomas? One of the best <laughs> opening lines in your book comes from Vody Bakum in the foreword about it, where essentially the only men we seem to celebrate are men acting like women. Um, <laughs> so uh, give us some hope here. What does the Bible teach us about being a good man? Yeah, on that first count, I mean, Leah Thomas isn't Leah. Uh, right. His name is William Thomas. You know, may have changed the name, but he's a man, full-fledged man, and it's a sign. It's a dead-level sign of where we are, that we've all just accepted this, and there's so few people who will dare to say that in public. So that, that's a sign right there of the loss of fathers and men who go, when, when boys and young men act a fool, uh, when they're in real deep waters, when they need help, whatever the situation may be, you know, hey, we got to get you help, and you can't do this. You, you cannot go this way. But we just don't have a lot of men who talk that way. That's why Jordan Peterson and others have become such a big deal, because they do still talk like a man. They use declarative speech. They draw lines in the sand, and they don't do so in hatred. We shouldn't do so in hatred. We should do so in love, um, but we've got to do that as Christians. All that points us to, as believers, what we have that no one else have. We, we have what Rogan and Jocko Willink and Jordan Peterson and Tucker Carlson and whoever else, wherever they may be in their spiritual journey, they don't have that I know of, and that's the gospel of divine grace. That's what men most need. By saying that, I don't mean you just get a man to pray a prayer and join a church, and then you're done with his discipleship. No, you've got to disciple him actually as a man. There's lots to say about that in terms of calling him to be a leader of himself, of his wife, if he's called to marriage, in the church at some level, building a vocation. You've got a lot of practical wisdom to give a boy and a young man. But nonetheless, I repeat myself unflinchingly, uh, you've got to have the gospel to, to live out manhood as God intended it, and that's what you can't find on the manosphere, Jeff. You can't find the gospel. You can find some common grace, you know, practical wisdom, and here's how to dress and do an ice bath, and, you know, here's how to steward your body, and uh, here's how to square your shoulders. Some of that stuff is good. Some of that stuff is, is out there because fathers and pastors and others aren't saying it anymore. And so I don't, I don't scorch all of that myself. But I also recognize, yeah, if a boy just descends into YouTube to try to figure out what a man is, he's not going to come out with the gospel answer. But part of the challenge that I think the Church has faced, and I'm, I'm even going to go back to the early 2000s, the book Wild at Heart by John Eldridge, okay? That the description of the man that you may receive in Sunday school from a biblical perspective is kind of a soft push over Jesus, right? Like a flannel board yeah. Jesus that's just maybe talks in a very nice voice like this um, mm -hmm. and, and never really challenges anybody. And I think it, 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 it's important to point out some of the great ones, right? David versus Goliath, John the Baptist eating the locust, right? Yeah. Jesus in the confrontation of the religious leaders of the time. I mean, it's, uh, these were men, and it's important to capture that. And your book does that. Um, talk about the actual biblical perspective of a man. 
Yeah, I love what you just said and agree fully, and that's what the War on Men lays out. I try to. I, I show that being a biblical man from all the counsel of God, there's a lot to deal with there, by the way. It's a big topic. It's not one thing. Uh, a man is called to be tender. He's called to be understanding to his wife, so he's called to listen, show empathy, kindness, gentleness. Gentleness, by the way, for a man and for anyone else is not the evacuation of strength. Mm. It's not ceasing to be strong, as, as our culture portrays it. It is strength under control. So the same man who can go out there and, you know, kill a, kill a lion as he's, as he's being attacked, his family's being attacked, you know, you think of David or something, is the same man who can comfort his, his crying six-year-old daughter and do so tenderly. Mm. And, and, but then you are, as a biblical man, not only called to tenderness. That's the part a lot of evangelical churches have been extremely happy to talk about the last 20, 30 years. Be, be soft, be gentle, be loving. That's not wrong. We, we don't want to lose biblical balance. That is no victory for us. But that is not all the story. In fact, there's a ton of important material on actually being manly in a strong, courageous sense. You think of Paul in 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Act like men. There's a distinctly courageous and manly brand of living. There's Jesus, as you alluded to, John 2, in the temple in Jerusalem, making a whip of cords and going toe-to-toe with evil money changers. So there, there are different capacities in a godly man. He is able to be kind, and yet he is also able to arm up in the face of danger and face down evil. You know what I want to, my mind goes to, Dr. Strand, when you say that, and these stories are starting to come out, is how some of the men responded in Israel uh, in these attacks that took place this past weekend uh, by Hamas. Uh, You're you're seeing, the stories are coming out of both men and women, but uh, grabbing their weapons in a surprise attack and going to fight evil. Yes. And so when you say that, that when you're talking about that arming up, um, I, I go to those types of visions, that in those moments, especially, they become crystal clear, right? There's, we want men fighting tooth and nail, bullet to bullet, gouging whatever they have to do to protect their families. And yet we we kind of like compartmentalize that. Oh, that's okay in the midst of a direct attack by a terrorist organization. No! You should do that on behalf of the the spiritual health of your family on a daily basis. You should, and that's exactly right. That's why you can't train boys only to be a protector in, in under, you know, these extreme conditions with very specific qualifications. You have to train your boy as a father to be a protector from his early days. Um, when you leave for, for a work trip, you know, you got to pull your son aside, even if he's eight years old. Mm. Uh, you can't technically probably defend anyone yet, but you got to say in terms of identity, in terms of formation, hey, son, you're the man of the house. Daddy's got to go to work to provide for the family. This is what God has called Daddy to do, to put bread on the table. And son, when I'm gone, you got to protect the girls. you got to lock the doors at night. You don't give him, you know, six hours of of protection uh, duty to, to, to perform like he's a sentry in a wartime <laughs> zone. But you do say even small things, Jeff. Honestly, you know this is a dad. We both do. We're not perfect dads. But the little things that dads say to their sons, they matter hugely. Yeah. Yeah. And giving them that sense of responsibility early on to their family yeah. is so critical. I was talking to a, a young father yesterday, and I said, I have a little bit of advice for you. He's got a, a nine-month-old boy. 
And I, I said, uh, as he gets older, make sure you do this thing. Obviously, go to church, teach him to read the Bible, memorize mm. scripture, all that is important. I said, make sure you wrestle with him. There's, <laughs> there's so many studies on this that yep. uh, when dads wrestle, they do a few things. One, they teach proper uh, engagement in violence. So, you know, you don't, you don't hit the groin, you don't poke the eyes, you, 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 you can punch the arm, you can throw down, you can hold down, right? But it's, it's important to teach what's appropriate in wrestling and what's not appropriate. Yes. But then one of the most important things that you train a young man to do when you wrestle with him is you train him to turn it off. Mm. So when it's nine o'clock, and we're going at it, and we're red-faced, and we're sweaty, and I go, turn it off, go brush your teeth. Yep. All these inner-city kids that are growing up without dads don't yep. get either of those. They don't know the proper role of violence with another man, right? So it's okay to wrestle, it's okay to throw down, but you don't, you know, you don't punch the nose. You don't, they don't learn that. Yes. And then they don't learn the skill set, which is really hard. I've seen it in my boys' eyes when they're yep. going. I mean, the, the adrenaline is just at high pump level in their bodies. And then yep. you go, turn it off. And they have to force themselves to draw that down is about self-control. And I love That's, my wife. Yeah. I love my wife. She's not getting down on the ground and doing that with my boys, you know? Yes. No, you're, you're so right. Oh, man, blast that to the skies because it's so true. And what you're capturing gets to the very wiring of a boy that we were talking about where he doesn't want to be weak. He wants to be strong. Yep. And that's good. First Kings 2-2, be strong and show yourself a man. And so that's good. But, um, yeah, when you don't train a boy to have self-control, self-rule, uh, and when, when further, when you're a culture and you say, actually, boys, when you have those instincts sitting in school for 19 hours a day or whatever they do, uh, we're going to dope you up and give you pills and you're bad and you're evil and you're toxic. Unlike the girls who can sit still seemingly for weeks on end without interruption, you are setting boys up for disaster. They need outlets. They have 2,000 to 3,000% more testosterone on average than girls. They have 50 to 60% more upper body strength on average than girls. These are not small realities. No one ever cites these stats. They're right there in front of us. And, and they're telling us how God has made boys. That has to be shepherded. You get into this in your book. Uh, you talk about the distinctions there, the physical distinctiveness of men, the social distinctiveness of men. Uh, great book. We're talking with Dr. Owen Strand, who is the provost and research professor of theology at Grace Bible Theological Seminary. His new book out, The War on Men, Why Society Hates Them and Why We Need Them. We're going to continue this conversation. We're up against a commercial break. Friends, this is the type of work we do at the Centennial Institute at Colorado Christian University. We recognize the challenges in our culture, in our public policy, and we want to speak biblical truth into our society's problems because we know that's the way forward. You're not going to want to miss the next segment, so stick around. Frontier Freedom Radio Hour. We'll be right back after these messages. 